Bible Interact is a group of Bible scholars and biblical archaeologists who promote the Hebraic nature of Scripture and view the two Testaments as one unified message. They explain how they use a first-century approach to searching the Scriptures, and they share their methods and discoveries for discussion and dialogue. They invite your comments and participation on BibleInteract.tv, where you can also find more teachings, self-study quizzes, webinars, and interviews. Hello, welcome to Bible Interact Presents. I'm Christy Anderson. Today we are continuing a series on study foundations, it, and we're really focusing in on this idea of meaning, what something means. How do I know what something means, and what do I mean when I just use the word meaning? What we found is that there are various aspects to meaning. In the first program, we focused on meaning as a referent. In other words, what is something referring to. And what we found is that meaning as the referent tells us what is being spoken about. But what we're going to see today uh, is, and this will be one element, we're going to see how many other aspects of meaning we can continue to get to in this uh, 25 minutes. But today we're going to start out with meaning as sense. So meaning as a referent tells us what is being spoken about, whereas meaning as sense is going to tell us what is being said about the referent. So once we've nailed down what something is referring to, um, then we can now find out, okay, now what's being said about it? Because what's being said about the referent, if you have a different referent uh, or two different reference and only one is correct, then they're going, you're going to have something different about what is being said about it. If you think you're referring to, for example, our faith in Messiah, then the uh, faith being e exhibited is our faith that is in Messiah. If we say the faith of Messiah, then we're talking about the referent of the faith is directed toward the Messiah's faith. So if you change the referent between us and Messiah, then you would also change the meaning of what's the focus, what is being sa said about faith. Um, are we placing our faith, for example, in Messiah? Are we talking about our faith, an act of our will and what would be considered a work of faith? Or are we talking about Messiah's faith, his faithfulness toward us? And so depending on how, for example, I'm, I'm pulling this from Galatians when Paul is making comparison between works of law and faith in Messiah, or is it faith of Messiah? And you'll notice if you go check it out, you look at the King James Version um, from the 1600s, you have a very different, um, uh, you have a different referent than you'll have in the modern translation. So in the uh, King James, there wasn't the bias that we have today of this personal faith that we're always focused on placing in Messiah that's pretty much cognitive and confessional rather than active. But in any case, that kind of bias has now come into the modern translations. And so the translators put, uh, when there's that contrast between works of law and the faith of Messiah, they put faith in Messiah instead of faith, the faith of Messiah. But in doing so, they bo both lose the contrast between works of law and the, the faith of Messiah as the means of our justification uh, that Paul's referring to, but they also um, change that little word of 
which makes the referent the Messiah's faith, to in, which makes it we put our faith in him. So now we are the referent in contrast to works of law instead of Messiah in his faith as the referent in contrast to works of law. So it's an important thing to understand first establishing the referent because once we know who we're talking about, now we can see, okay, well, what's being said about that person or that thing? So in other words, once you get to know, you know, who's being talked about, as we said, the referent, we're going to move now toward discovering what the author is saying about the subject or object. And that is called the sense, the sense of the meaning. So we have the referent and now we're talking about the sense. Here's where we have to take into consideration more than just the base meaning of terms. While the meaning of terms is necessary to get the sense of the passage, we also have to consider the presuppositions of the author and how the author is putting the text together to form a message that he wishes to convey. Context is critical here because it will show how the author's choices of words and phrases function within a given context to convey his message. However, the problem with finding sense is that our predispositions to certain contemporary church doctrines, our own cultural blinders, and our personal presuppositions and pre-understandings will have a tendency to cloud our judgment if we're not careful, if we're not aware of them. Uh, We can't overcome this. This is not something that uh, prevents us from finding the actual meaning, but it can blind us if we're not careful and we're not uh, honest with ourselves and our own histories and pre-understandings and culture and and consider all these differences and uh, a whole slew of um, things that come to the table when you're looking at um, a particular text. Now, this is in part due to the fact that most people upon hearing something new or outside of their own spiritual box or grid will often do one of two things. Either they're going to dismiss or reject the idea outright or they'll distort the evidence to make it fit their own spiritual box. In the first case, when the meaning of a text changes our previously held assumptions, what most often happens is that our flesh would rather not have to change or ever admit that we might have been wrong in our understanding. In these situations, some people will immediately reject anything that even appears to contradict or fall outside our spiritual box or their spiritual box. Their eternal response appears um, to scream, if you will, sorry, my mind is made up, don't bother me with the facts. Others react by choosing the second option and simply adjust and manipulate the meaning until they can sort of force it to fit their particular spiritual box and how, how they think the outcome should be. Sadly, most don't realize this is what they're doing, but when you analyze some of the interpretations and the explanations for those interpretations on certain texts, it becomes quickly evident that they have not applied a consistent hermeneutic, i.e. they haven't applied a consistent principle of interpretation to those texts. So they'll apply it in certain texts that are non-controversial, but when it causes them to have to change, they have to sort of manipulate and not actually apply the their own hermeneutic that they would normally apply in other cases. In other words, they have not applied the basic rules of language interpretation to those texts that seem uh, or that in some way would make them have to change. Um, And in other words, they'd end up with the authentic meaning. It's not like they have the process wrong. They just refuse to look at it or are blinded when it comes to certain 
particulars uh, that would make them change, which nobody likes change and nobody likes admitting they're being wrong. But we know that um, the act of faith starts with humility and you can't come to the Father uh, without humility. And that requires uh, the ability to recognize when we've uh, made a mistake, uh, even if it's a big one. Uh, in interpretation or whatnot, it's a scary thing to teach because there are some times when you end up realizing you've misunderstood something or you've been wrong and you have to own up to that and uh, and face it and, and try to, you know, uh, do the best you can to make those corrections as humbly as you can. In many cases, though, um, we see that the referent can often be manipulated. Um, and in, when that happens... The text is limited unnecessarily or the semantic range of words can be manipulated in order to justify a change of meaning. And and this is where they'll then uh, make those changes in order to make the sense be the sense that they want. Now, we're going to get into details later in this teaching on that, but Suffice to say, only when we apply the same rules of language to all aspects of the text and all areas of the text are we going to confidently claim that we've actually found a true and consistent meaning throughout the text. However, there is also a third option that we can all, you know, take, and that is when we apply the principles of interpretation to a text and discover, if we do discover that it contradicts our previously held assumptions, uh, then we can admit our ignorance, set aside the new fact until we can properly understand and filter it via the Word of God. And this doesn't mean we ignore the issue, but there are times when we recognize that maybe we've got something wrong, but we're really unclear as to what that truth is yet, and it's going to take a little bit of time and further investigation. So we might shelf it for a little bit and then come back and let and, and seek the Lord, and He's usually pretty quick to help us come to a resolution and come to an, a greater understanding. What we should never do, though, when we hear of a teaching from someone else that uh, may challenge our pre-held assumptions about a text is simply to step out in our flesh and, and make changes right away because we trust the source or what the source is teaching that the Bible might be saying. Instead, we should do as the Berean Jews did in Acts 17.11 who received the word with eagerness but... They themselves personally first searched the scriptures daily to prove that those things were so and to make sure that they were true and consistent with the meaning found in the scriptures. And then they could allow the Holy Spirit to give them that understanding and then they could themselves walk in it. This is, I, I say this to prevent you from uh, doing what I see many people do and they they get all jazzed up and excited by some dynamic speaker who m makes sense. And I don't care if you're talking in the regular Christian church or you're talking in messianic and Hebraic circles, whatever. Um, someone can get you all jazzed up and you just you hear a, a particular rhetoric and then you just start walking in it. And if you haven't taken the time to study it out and allow the Holy Spirit to convict you and make those changes and you just run full bore and then you're going along telling everyone this is the way to go follow me um, be careful because you may or that may or may not be uh, truthful and is is things can be logical without being accurate in scripture so just because someone makes a logical conclusion or it makes a logical argument does not necessarily mean it's actually factual 
Now, we're going to transition here to the next step in, uh, we've, we've covered now referent, meaning as a referent, and meaning as since, and now we're going to begin to look at meaning as intention. Because we have two intentions going. We have the human author and his current situation that he is in and living out and writing about, and then we also have the divine intention, if you will, coming from the Lord who is um, working hand-in-hand with the author and inspiring the author to write in a particular way. So there can be a divine intention behind the words that go even maybe beyond the particular situation on the ground at that time of the author, but they're going to work together, and we'll see uh, how that goes a little bit. So when we're looking at meaning as intention... It is closely associated with meaning as sense, and in most cases, they can sometimes be just identical, but for our purposes, we're not trying to ascertain the author's mind or psychology or feelings, since these are nearly impossible to know, unless the author stated such issues directly. What we're looking for here is the truth intentions, or the assertions of the author, that are expressed in the way he put together the individual words, phrases, and sentences in a literary Uh, a literary piece, if you will, to form a meaning. So that's what we're looking for, basically like truth intention or assertion of the author. There are cases, for example, where a student might protest to a teacher that the teacher has misunderstood the intentions of the student in the student's writing. But the teacher will claim that he or she, well, I'm sorry, I can only grade you, the student, on what is written. Now, in this case, while it may sound like the meaning was derived outside of the student or in the mind of the teacher, that is not what is really going on here. Rather, what has often occurred is that the student has demonstrated a lack in linguistic skills, whereby he or she, as the author, communicated poorly, perhaps using too many ambiguities or unfinished or incomplete thoughts, and assumed that the teacher would understand or understood the referent of the student or that the referent was known without needing to be stated explicitly. So it wasn't that the teacher created some different meaning than the student intended or that uh, the the writing where, where they're focusing, well, I can only go on what you wrote here. Well, if it was unclear and it wasn't what the student intended, you can see how we have meaning as intention here and how that can cause problems. Uh, particularly, I guess we could point to Paul as people completely missing uh, his words and not gleaning the true intention Paul had. Uh, poor Paul, when he and we uh, get to the uh, final supper uh, after the resurrection with him, I think he's going to have to stand up and be like, hello, I did not mean all of these things you people said I meant. But in any case... Uh, Poor Paul. While the teacher may have misunderstood in in this example the referent of the student, the student's intentions in writing are never irrelevant. But the only way to know for sure what was meant is to ask the student directly for clarification. Sadly, we can't ask Paul. I wish we could. Wouldn't you? If this cannot be done, and it cannot for us in regard to asking the authors of Scripture, of course, directly for clarification... Um, although that would be wonderful, then we must search the context for further clues. So context is going to be critical. 
Often, it's possible to infer the meaning from the context, even if the author has poorly constructed a particular sentence or failed to express his intentions clearly. Obviously, we know this today, and、uh, more our, the youthful generation know it better than perhaps the adults. But the idea of texting is a perfect example. You don't even use full、uh, words and sentences. You use、uh, even just a bunch of acronyms half the time. And you communicate still the meaning clearly, and everyone understands what you mean. And yet, you have very poorly constructed, if we could even call them, sentences. So even though we only use partial words and letters when texting, we still can get that truth intentions of the author who is trying to communicate back and forth in that manner. So if we consider the following illustration,、um, it's important to understand meaning as intention there. If a man said, for example, let me give you another example. If a man said,、um, "I like my secretary secretary better than my wife," we might be surprised and say, "You do," at which point the man might realize that we have misunderstood his intentions in what he said, and he would clarify, "Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry, you misunderstood. I mean that I like my secretary better than my wife does." While we might still not need more, still need more clarification as to his real intentions in making the statement, we now have better clarity as to the meaning intended in its original statement. It wasn't that the words were wrong, but we mistook and misunderstood his intentions and and where he.、Um, uh, In other words, you get the point.、Uh, it's not that he didn't like,、uh, or that he liked his secretary above his wife, but he liked her more than the wife did. So obviously, even though he said it correctly grammatically, and and we could glean that information, our mind tended to think that there was something shady going on, even though there wasn't. So the author's intentions then affect the meaning in a number of ways. One of the ways is that intention determines whether words. Are to be understood literally or figuratively. So, for example,、um, Genesis twenty-two three. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son, and he split wood wood for the burnt offering, and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. So clearly, all these words are constructed in the sentence and are intended by the author to be understood in a very literal, straightforward manner. In that Abraham literally rose early, saddled his donkey. He did all these little literal things. While there may be some deeper significance in what Abraham did that day, that can be understood from the text. The meaning the author intended in these words, based on the way he constructed the words in his verses, require us to interpret them in their very just straightforward literal.、Uh, Fashion, rather than in a figurative sense, that is, the author's intentions are to be used,、uh, or that these、uh, the, in his use of the words is a very just straightforward literal context. Now, let's look at the figurative intentions. The phrase "the mountains and hills will break forth with shouts of joy before you, and all the trees of the field will clap their hands," written by Isaiah in Isaiah fifty-five twelve, would be an example of figurative speech. In our quest to find the literal meaning of this passage, we would have to understand this phrase in its figurative sense. He's not literally saying that trees、uh, have these voices that are singing per se.、Um, you know, there might be some scientific、uh, 
frequency that they're putting out, and in that sense, uh, I suppose. But that's clearly not uh, the intention he has in this particular, um, uh, when we're looking at the meaning. What is he trying to say in those verses? So that would be an example of figurative intention. Now, there are also general statements that can be applied to any member of a class. So the intentions are either literal or figurative, and then there can be a general statement that can be applied to any member of a class. For example, Mark 10, 25 says, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. In this case, the statement goes beyond the author's immediate referent and would apply not only to rich people um, in Yeshua's time, but to all who were members of the same class of rich in any time period in history. Since the principle was not changed, either in the biblical or modern context, the truth intention also remains the same. Thirdly, we have general truths that can be easily transferred to others. An example for this is Mark 7, 6. Yeshua complains while quoting Isaiah 29, 13, that Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites. Now, we realize that Isaiah did not directly address Yeshua's particular audience 700 years earlier. However, the truth Isaiah affirmed can be readily transferred across the centuries because what Isaiah stated 700 years earlier could have just as well been stated about Yeshua's contemporaries. There was no change of authorial intentionality. So we have a truth intention that can be applied through the centuries at any time because the audience was exhibiting the exact same character as that which the Isaiah was addressing at his time. Now, number four, we have partial fulfillments. Without a series of predictions, belonging to a line exhibiting corporate solidarity of all the parts that can also go beyond the immediate and particular to the final manifestation of the prediction. In other words, that's a big mouthful of saying we start with the author's intended meaning that may have its own relevance for the author's day and time period. But the fulfillment of the words can also have both a near and a far application. And we'll get to that farther along in our study when we begin to look at meaning as significance or application. In other words, there's a singular meaning found in the words of the prediction but a particular prophecy can have multiple fulfillments or applications. The meaning can be applied in different circumstances, situations, or periods of time in history. For example, Yeshua on the Sabbath goes up to read a section from the prophets out of Isaiah 61 and then states in Luke 4.21, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Even though Yeshua stops reading in mid-sentence, not saying the second half of the sentence regarding the day of vengeance of our God, thus only the first half of the sentence is the referent he implies is fulfilled by him in that day, we see here that this specific example then would be a partial fulfillment in mid-sentence. So we have partial fulfillment, says the force. So here we, we had then for meaning, we're going to probably have to wrap it up here we're not going to get into divine intention because we only have about three minutes. I'll see how far we can get, and then we might get cut off, and we'll continue in the next um, series. But if we go over here and we'll look at, let's go ahead. I'm going to go ahead and skip to divine intention. There's a purpose intention versus a truth intention that we must 
uh, be distinguished here. And so when it comes to writing scripture, the divine human cooperative uh, was such that God was able to take his truths and convey them in words to the writers of scripture through the use of common human language. And we have in 1 Corinthians 2 that it affirms this and uh, it tells us that the writers of scripture were taught not through human wisdom, but through words taught to them by the spirit. So while Moses was directed to write the Torah audibly and directly face to face, all the other writers were aided in their writing of scripture through inspiration and by first having learned God's truth via the Torah. Some writers, of course, also had the uh, prophets and writings to refer to as they wrote. So they had a little bit of background to go on. So unfortunately, I'm already time to cut off, um, but we will pick this up again in our next, in our part three session. So I hope you'll come back. You can get more information at foridiswritten.com. Again, that's foridiswritten.com. Thanks and have a really blessed and wonderful afternoon or day.